Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. prom party hello welcome back for another rousing episode at least i hope it's rousing it's rousing yes (laughs) it's a rowdy episode (laughs) we're gonna get real intense real fast about some children's animation yeah probably not (laughs) the rowdiest thing going on right now is the weather outside yeah i don't know what's happening but if you hear any sound in the background where you're like wow this kind of sounds like that episode of the magic school bus when they're in the haunted house and there's a lot of wind that's just our life right now (laughs) it was a dark and stormy night except it is very sunny and it's like noon right now (laughs) but the wind is ominous sounding the wind is whipping and whistling and moaning and groaning it sounds like we're in a haunted house it's kind of cool if we weren't recording it'd be cooler That'd be, that'd be a lot cooler, you're right. It'd be a lot cooler if you weren't right now. (laughs) Well, today we are diving back into the wonderful world of animation. And for those who don't know, Harmony sort of has a, hmm, I don't want to say that they're like your mortal enemy, but Harmony is really not keen on a lot of the Disney properties. So if you're like, wow, y'all did Studio Ghibli, and now you're doing this not Disney princess movie. What's that all about? Like the most not Disney Disney movie. Yes. (laughs) But that's what we're we're talking about today. So we're going to be talking about that movie that you made your parents rent for you every time you went to Blockbuster until maybe you finally got the chance to have it gifted to you for a birthday. So let's bust out our clamshells and talk about 1994's The Swan Princess. Yeah. So Harmony, how about you set the stage for us? What was going on? Let's let's take a look at our, our <laughs> November of 1994 culture. Yeah, what's what's going on here? Because I don't know about you, but I was four. I was three. So I was clearly super aware of what was cool and what was happening in the world around me. Well, let's let's take a gander here at some of our some of our charts and stuff like that. At the time this movie was coming out, uh, they were gearing up for the holiday season because this was released the 18th of November, right mm-hmm. before Thanksgiving. So you're entering in like the holiday movie rush. So for some of the contemporary films, you have like holiday uh, classics, quote unquote, of like the Santa Claus with Tim Allen. 
Oh, I was big on the Santa Claus when this came out. Oh, yeah. For one reason and one reason only, Bernard the Elf. <laughs> I love Bernard the Elf. That's why I've refused to ever say that man's actual name. David Krumholtz. Yep. Yes. Yep. He's Bernard the Elf. <laughs> and I, one of my favorite things about the Santa Claus is how there are people who are like 30 years old right now going, oh, my God, Claus is not spelt like his name. <laughs> yeah, realizing that it's like a clause in a contract. It's a pun. Which was the joke the whole time. Yeah, but they didn't realize it because, you know, you're, you're like four children, years old. You yeah. don't know how to spell uh, also, this was the same time that the remake of Miracle on 34th Street was released. Oh, with Mara Wilson? With Mara Wilson. Oh, that's a great one. That's the version that we watched growing up. A, uh, we'll say, peer of the not-Disney animated world was released at the same time called The Pagemaster. I love The Pagemaster, and I will die on that hill. You showed me The Pagemaster fairly recently, like within the last two years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I thought it was Okay. All I have to say is that there is a tattoo I've been dreaming about for many years where it's the horror book sitting on top of the book from Hocus Pocus reading the Necronomicon and having a scared face. Like, Mm -hmm. I want that tattoo so bad. (laughs) I hope you get it once things are uh, a little more open and moving. Yeah. Yeah. Some of our other films are not quite as child-friendly. Like, we have Interview with a Vampire. Hey, there's one of the best chi- child in there. It's like one of the best child acting performances of all time is in that movie from the one and only Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, but not exactly a children's movie. No, not a children's movie, but a movie for anyone who's into gay vampires, which is, I hope, everyone. Everyone's child should be into gay vampires. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was. Nothing about that is surprising for anyone who knows no. the slightest thing about you. No. <laughs> one of the most interesting releases at this time was that... The next week, Disney re-released The Lion King back into theaters. They sure did. Yes. So Lion King basically dominated the entire summer. It just kept making money, and Disney pulled it in September Mm -hmm. so they could re-release it in November for the holiday season so they could just rack up all of that money. Mm -hmm. But there is... um, Dare we say, uh, not subtle rumors that Disney also just wanted to crush the Swan Princess under its horrible boot. So in my research, I have also seen a lot of those thoughts about Disney knew that both the Page Master and the Swan Princess were coming. And this was basically their way of being like, hey, all of you who think you can come into our yard, go fuck yourselves. Yeah, this is the uh, Michael Eisner Disney Renaissance era where they mm-hmm. truly grew into the evil corporation that they are today. Mm-hmm. So so I would not be surprised. Like yeah. on a business level, it makes sense to pull it in order to profit off the holiday season. That's a nice justification for it. But yeah, this is like when businesses like fire people because they don't want to deal with like having a gay employee and they're like, "Mm, you just didn't meet our satisfaction. And it's like, that's because you legally can't say out loud that it's because we're gay. So saying that Disney did this purely for like a positive business aspect is always going to be speculatory as well as saying that they did this intentionally to like squeeze out competition mm-hmm. it's going to be speculatory so make of this information as you will it's fine we'll talk about disney surely later yeah of like course. I, they're going to be peppered in i assume through this entire episode because you can't not mention them when you discuss what this film basically is yeah agreed so switching over now to television which we haven't gotten to cover in our uh, recap segments yet mm-hmm. 
I wanted to look at what animated shows were coming around at this time because we haven't gotten to do much animation, but you know, mm-hmm. since we are, let's let's highlight what was going on. And there's a lot of really weird shows based on movies that I did not realize it existed at this time. Okay. So released in '94, uh, there's Beethoven the cartoon, Conan the Barbarian the cartoon, Free Willy the cartoon. <laughs> Highlander, the cartoon, which I assume has much less beheading. <laughs> I would hope so. You you would hope. And one that I actually do remember being Aladdin, the series. Oh, that's right. I do remember Aladdin, the series. Yeah, which if I remember correctly in like the Aladdin Disney timeline, I think Return of Jafar started the Aladdin series. And then the third Aladdin movie ended the Aladdin series as like a finale. That sounds right, but I, I also could be completely misremembering this because, again, child. Aladdin was kind of my dude. If I was going to be a Disney kid growing up, Aladdin was my guy. Especially, I love that. Yeah, well, there also weren't a lot of animated Disney movies that were, like, starring boys mm-hmm. that also weren't animals. Okay, good point. Yeah, but there's a lot of other cool stuff that debuted this year, just to run through some of them real quick. Uh, reboot. Oh, yeah. Which, like, is the first CG animated series, and... You can tell. <laughs> you can. But I remember Reboot being really awesome, and I don't know if it still is, but I hope it is. That's kind of how I feel about it. I remember liking it and thinking that it was one of the coolest looking things I had seen, mm-hmm. but I was also a small child, so it could be absolute dog shit, and I wouldn't know. Yeah, I mean, as long as it's better than, like, a contemporary, like, Code Lyoko, then I'm cool with that. Yeah. One show that's a lot more your brand, Ah Real Monsters. I loved Ah Real Monsters. I watched it when it was on, but I feel like it did not get reruns as often, so it I didn't, didn't watch it very well, much. A lot of parents hated that show. Why? Because it's gross and scary. One, it's gross and scary. Two, it has that like gross Rugrats animation. Oh, that, the Klasky Chupo. Yeah, yeah, no, it has that style. But that, that works for these characters more than Rugrats. I agree, but because it's being added to these like monstrous characters, parents didn't like it, and they also really had a lot of issues with the teacher wearing high heeled shoes and lipstick. Yeah. So. He's very much like um, like the red guy from Cow and Chicken or a him from Powerpuff Girls. Where but you he's these... a little bit more Frankenfurter. Yeah. That's what's happening. And yeah. parents were not stoked on their kids seeing that. No, I, under- I, I can understand that. And a couple more favorites of this era being the Magic School Bus. Hell yeah, Magic School Bus. I'm really glad I made that reference earlier, though. <laughs> And one of my favorites to revisit every once in a while, The Tick. Oh, The Tick. Yeah, there's plenty, plenty more. Like, there were so many animated things, including a lot of superhero stuff this year. Mm -hmm. But that's just some of it. Wonderful. looking at our music charts real quick, BJ, what do you think 1994 was like for music? Um, I think this is when music started getting a little chaotic in terms of what was popular, because we're going to start getting, like, the R&B resurgences, and start highlighting things like Mariah Carey. We're also tiptoeing into the bubblegum pop boom. Uh, we also have gangsta rap. Uh, we also have like country, like pop country started becoming a thing right now. So I feel like the charts are going to be all over the place. Yeah, it's a lot of that. Uh, you're primarily going to be dominated by like adult contemporary type stuff. Like Michael Bolton? Um, I'd say more like Sheryl Crow. Okay. Where it's not full adult contemporary, but it's like, oh, it's cool and parents can like it. Mm-hmm. And 
a lot of ballads. Oh, yeah. And also a lot of R&B ballads. Beautiful. So the number one song when The Swan Princess came out is I'll Make Love to You by Boys to Men. I'll Make Love to You. (laughs) Hell yeah. I can't think of that song, though, without thinking of Titus in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt singing that at a funeral. (laughs) Because it's the only Boys to Men song he knew the words to. It's the only one I know the words to. Other songs come on, I go, yeah, no, I know that's Boys to Men, and I know the chorus, but I don't know the words. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Boys to Men's a little bit before my time. Yeah. I mean, we were children. Yeah, exactly. Other songs include All I Want to Do by Sheryl Crow. Okay. One of my favorite power ballads and arguably my favorite Bon Jovi song, Always. Oh, God. <laughs> I was going to play at our wedding just to make your mom cry. I know, and she would have because my uh, mom fucking loves Bon Jovi. It would have been amazing. I'm the Only One by Melissa Etheridge. Ah, uh, lesbian power. Yeah, she appears later on this list. Uh, Tootsie Roll by 69 Boys. Tootsie Roll is one of my favorite songs to dance to of all time. Really? Yes. It is one of my favorites. And I will never forget, there was a baton group that we competed against growing up. And one year their theme was like candy. So all of the songs were about candy. Mm -hmm. Like I want candy, all that kind of crap. Laffy Taffy. Laffy Taffy was in there, of course. But they did this really fun segment to Tootsie Roll. And they had this little girl on their team who at the time was probably like seven. Mm-hmm. And the end of them doing Tootsie Roll was this six-year-old pop lock and dropping it. And wow. the whole like gym would explode every time. I mean, I... It was amazing. I would as well, because they're just like, <laughs> you know what? Fucking, you're killing it. Yeah, she was so tiny. So it's like all these like, you know, teenage girls that are twirling or whatever, and they would do like a fun move and hit the ground. So the only thing you can see is the six-year-old pop lock and dropping it, and she crushed it. Oh, I love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, like, I could keep going through this list, but I feel like that's the best story to close this out on. Hey, you're welcome. I'm glad <laughs> I could help. peek that. <laughs> So, yeah, that's taking a look back at all of our various cultural milestones of November of 1994. None of them are really similar to what the Swan Princess was offering (laughs) at the time, but here we are. No, and typically I would go to our friend Dango, but they did not have a synopsis for the Swan Princess. What they did have was discussions about why this movie did not do well, um, which we will obviously be getting into. Mm -hmm. So I went over to the dark side, as always, went to IMDb. And here's their synopsis. A power-hungry sorcerer curses a princess to live as a swan by day in this tale of everlasting love. Yeah. That's the thing with the IMDb reviews is they're extremely short and to the point. They're they're very direct. And it's usually one sentence. Yep. They I think this one they did a good job. So, Harmony, what was your knowledge, understanding of The Swan Princess before we watched it for this episode? I actually watched a lot of The Swan Princess growing up. Okay. Because when I was really little, a lot of the neighborhood kids at my dead-end street growing up were all girls. Mm -hmm. So I hung out with girls growing up. And they all, of course, loved things like the Swan Princess. Mm-hmm. Uh, my best friend, when I was really, really little, her, she went by Breezy. That's not even close to her real name, <laughs> but that's the name she went by. Was obsessed with Anastasia, Balto, 
and the Swan Princess because apparently they were not a Disney household. Mm-hmm. And we watched the Swan Princess a lot. Okay. When we hung out together. Like, even if we weren't watching, watching it, it would be, like, playing on the TV in, like, the background while we did other things at, like, her house. Mm-hmm. So, I've seen the Swan Princess a lot. I don't recall ever having a particular fondness for it. Okay. <laughs> I just kind of remember being like, yeah, that's here. That's, <laughs> this is a movie I've seen. It's it's certainly, it, that's it. It And it, I don't want to say that it feels cheap, but it... This is, this, is a, this is a lot scrappier of a film. Totally. And I could not remember if I had seen The Swan Princess until we watched it. And then, you know, all of those memories got unlocked. Yeah. What you had said was, I don't know if I've seen this or if I'm just remembering all of the stuff from like the coming soon to own on right. video cassette previews. <laughs> because what I did own a lot of were the not Disney animation. I, I owned a lot of the Don Bluth series. I obviously had Anastasia, mm-hmm. but I was telling you about how one of my favorite animated movies growing up was Happily Ever After, which was a sort of Snow White knockoff mm-hmm. where it was Snow White and the dwarves were all mixed gender, but one of them is like Zsa, Zsa Gabor and one's Tracy Ullman. Um, like it's a wild fucking movie. And there's uh-huh. also like vague like He-Man sort of animation styles. Like there's just a lot going on there. But I used to get a lot of those movies because they weren't Disney, which meant they were cheaper. Uh So my mom would buy a lot of them for not only my sister and I, but my mom was a daycare provider. And there's only so many movies that we can watch over and over again before the kids either get restless or they start bullying the one kid who's like, I want to watch Beauty and the Beast for the millionth time. And then everyone's like, no, we've watched it a million times. We Uh did something else. (laughs) So my mom would go to the store and just buy up like anything that was animated for kids. So all of those like knockoffs and mockbusters that people intentionally made to like trick grandparents. Stuff that would have been like frozen, but instead it's just like cold. Yes. (laughs) My mom (laughs) bought all of those growing up. So they all would have the same previews Mm -hmm. for the other not Disney movies. So... I couldn't remember until we watched it. And I was like, oh, no, no, I have seen this. <laughs> you just didn't remember much until we got there. And then you go, oh, it all just comes flooding yes, back. Yes, it all flooded back, which I thought was really, really interesting. So let's uh, let's dive into The Swan Princess. And we do have a leading lady we can talk about first. A, a swan princess? We have the titular role. So let's talk about Odette. How do you feel about Odette? So the setup for this movie is really confusing. Not in terms of how it's presented, but just in terms of how it's structured. Mm -hmm. Because the movie starts with like a monologue and backstory to go into a musical number, which is also kind of a time jump backstory before we (laughs) actually get to the plot. Correct. So there's, there's a lot of setup before we get to the actual story of this film. And when Odette's born as like a little baby... Her parents are like, ah, yes, we will betroth her to this prince and unite our kingdoms because this is a movie about arranged marriage. Mm-hmm. And she and Prince Derek, Derek, which will go into Derek uh, eventually, <laughs> they grow up together and they don't like each other. They're like forced to spend summers together and they don't enjoy each other's company at all. Yeah. I can't believe I'm stuck with her all summer. Oh, but she doesn't wrestle hunt or box. He 
was conceited when it's all no bummer if, if I, I get, get lucky, lucky i'll get chicken pox so happy you could come so happy to be here how i'd like to run this is not my this idea. isn't my idea of fun i read an article uh where they referred to it as reverse parent trapping where the parents oh were like <laughs> Right? These kids are going to learn to like each other, <laughs> which I also kind of enjoy because whenever we talk about arranged marriages culturally, it tends to be you meet them when you're like 16 and then you marry them when you're 18 and you don't really know each other. Mm-hmm. Whereas at least these parents were like, aha, this is the plan that we're having. Let's make sure they like each other and let them know each other, didn't. which they didn't until, you know, later on. But I like that they actually thought about, hmm, well, we should actually take into consideration their feelings in this situation. They're going to get married no matter what, but maybe they'll like each other. An attempt was made. I guess. So we reached the actual like, hey, they're the proper age for the rest of the story now. And this is where we we basically pick up at the actual plot of the movie. Mm -hmm. It's not all just set up and exposition. And they're at like some sort of debutante ball sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And Derek is like, oh, hey, um, we're going to be together and I love you now because you're hot. And she goes, Derek, don't you love me for anything other than my looks? And he goes, what else is there? Yeah, she goes, uh, so why else? Like she keeps pressing him on it, which I love. That's such a great move of... Because we think about a lot of these other, you know, Disney princesses, and you're the fairest of them all. You're mm-hmm. the most beautiful in the kingdom. Blah, 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 blah. And that is all they need. Like, we look at something like The Little Mermaid, which so many people consider, you know, the start of that Disney renaissance. Mm-hmm. And the prince falls in love with Ariel because she's hot. Like, they mm-hmm. don't know each other. She doesn't fucking talk. She's str- a little strange. And yeah. she doesn't talk. So he's just like, yeah, you're hot. That's it. There's, yeah. there's really nothing more to it than that. Yeah. Or we look at the princesses that came even before Ariel and we have like. Fall in love with Sleeping Beauty, who's literally unconscious. Fall in love with Snow White, who's literally unconscious. And then when we go past Ariel into, you know, what leads into the Swan Princess, we have Belle in Beauty and the Beast and it's. Stockholm Syndrome. So we don't have a great track record of princesses up until this point. And then we get Odette, who, not a Disney princess, and is kind of standing up for her autonomy. Yeah, and I like that in of itself. I'm sensing a huge butt. There's the biggest butt, uh-huh. which is like, she gets kidnapped by our villain, Sir Rothbart. What a name. They all have really, really high fantasy names, except for Derek. Because <laughs> Derek. Derek got his name changed for this. Because anyone who doesn't know, like, this is an adaptation of Swan Lake. And Derek's name is supposed to be Siegfried. Yeah. And Which I guess they were like, children will laugh at this. No. So then they changed it to Derek. And the whole time we were watching it, we just kept quoting the good place every time he Derek. popped up. Yeah, they say his name all the time. And we're like, Derek. <laughs> Because it's, when we have children's movies, we have a tendency to say names 
a lot Mm -hmm. because they're trying to like implant that in kids brains of like this is who this character is this is how you differentiate between them whereas an adult like movies meant for adults that doesn't happen as much like you might get a name once and then you're just expected to remember it like last week where we didn't really have anybody's name mentioned almost at all yes (laughs) so in this one it's like no we're hammering home like odette or prince eric like nonstop. yeah so, and I also said Prince Eric because I was thinking about Little Mermaid just now. That's okay. We're, we're basically just going to flow between Odette and Derek, I guess, as far as yeah, discussing the two goes. To. But she gets kidnapped and then suddenly he's like, no, I must save her. I'm in love with her. And we don't really see why. He just decides, oh, there is more to you than your looks. I don't know what they are, but there's more to you than your looks, and I'm in love with you now. Well, the other thing, too, is that when she gets kidnapped, everyone in the kingdom is convinced that she's dead, and mm-hmm. he's not. He's like, no, I don't believe that. I think she's still out there. I need to I need to do something about to this. to slay the great beast. Yes. Which I also like that he's taking the initiative to try and, you know, quote unquote, save his princess, but what makes Odette so strong for me is that she doesn't wait around like, oh, my prince will come and rescue me. No big deal. I'm just going to be a swan and float around all day. Like, she doesn't Mm. do that. There are moments where she's like, I'm going to try to fly away and get attention and try to help myself within the constraints of I'm a fucking swan that no one can understand other than animals. Um. And I really like that about her, that she doesn't just sit there and wait like one day my prince will come. She's like, no, I got shit to do. Let me let me try this. And then she also becomes, like, really good friends with all of the animals that are there to help her. It's not this situation where she's looking down upon them because they're animals. She's like, oh, no, you are good allies to have. Let's be friends. You help me. I help you. And I love that about her. That's great. I do as well. I just wish it was done better, I guess. Because I like that if you read more into the text... Mm-hmm. But I've always been like, yeah, Odette, what do you, what, what's your personality? What's, what are we supposed to glean from this other than you're like a kind of kind person? Like mm-hmm. she doesn't have any big grand gestures. Is is she, is she funny? Is she smart? Like most of her traits to me come across in the film as being very um, kind of middle of the road. Like she's not a particularly bad person, but she's not doing anything particularly huge either. I guess, like, her biggest trait would be more, like, she has bravery on her side, but it's more of, like, out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Because, hey, I'm in this situation now. I guess I have to deal with this. See, I understand that, and that's a fair criticism to make, but looking at the trajectory of princess representation, she's the first one who actually kind of fights for herself. The rest of them all are just like, well, some dude will come over and take care of this. No big deal. I'll just cry about it and sing a song and cry about it. Yeah. So with that in mind, like this is, it's kind of a groundbreaking performance. We've made great strides in comparison since then. And considering you're somebody who isn't super keen on Disney, and I know that your favorite Disney princess is Rapunzel, who is arguably the most like, go get them of all of the Disney princesses that exist. Of the very traditional Disney Of the traditional ones, yes. And I think maybe because of that, you might have a little bit of bias. Um, maybe, but I think you can have this character be groundbreaking, but also I just look at her and go, 
yeah, there's just, it's just, everything could have been done so much better. Yeah, two truths. We can hold, multiple things can be true at the same time. The fact that this movie is not perfect and could definitely have used a little bit more story in my opinion. Could have done with a little more a little more seasoning. Yeah. Maybe left it in the oven for a bit longer. Like yeah. there's some choices that could have enhanced this. And I guess just for full disclosure, there's like ten sequels to the Swan Princess. There are nine. Okay. I have not seen any of those. Maybe more happens in those, but looking strictly at the OG Swan Princess, mm-hmm. this is where we're at. Well that's something that I wanted to bring up is that this movie did not perform well. And mm-hmm. it did not perform well because of a lot of factors, but the main one being the Lion King re-release just kind of obliterating this movie. Yeah. But this movie did very well in home video rentals. Yes. Likely because of, you know, similar things about like what my mom did. I think a lot of animated movies of this time did very well in video rentals, mm-hmm. not so much in theaters. Oh yeah. Because you know, they're not going to have the same marketing budget as something like Disney to tell you that they're in theaters, mm-hmm. number one. And number two, kids have a tendency to see the same things over and over again because it's tried and true and trusted and they want to revisit that. So, mm-hmm. of course, you know, stepping outside the box into something that's new is going to be difficult. And I also don't like movie- this food. I want to eat chicken nuggets forever. Exactly. Yeah. And also movies are expensive. So parents are not going to be quite as willing to pay the money to go see a movie that they don't know their kids are going to like in the theater. Mm-hmm. They will, however, go to the video store and rent it for a dollar mm-hmm. or they will buy it at Kmart and bring it home and you know. Especially if it goes in like the discount bin. Mm-hmm. After it's been there for a little bit. Yes. So because this movie did so well in video rentals and showed that there was absolutely a market for this, it has since spawned nine sequels. Mm -hmm. And what I also find really interesting is that the animation style in these sequels has changed to cater to whatever is right for that current generation of kids. Mm -hmm. So the first ones are, you know, traditional animation. And as they've gotten more down the line, they're now fully like cg animated movies because the kids who are watching these a lot of them have not really watched things that are traditionally animated Mm -hmm. everything's cg now so in order for it to still be something that kids are going to identify with and recognize and enjoy they had to switch it up and i think that that's brilliant yeah no i i understand that for someone like me who has no understanding of how the sequels operate with this there is something about that that reads as the Swan Princess series is following trends rather than setting them. Mm-hmm. Because how often did we watch this movie and we could look at it and go, cool, um, this is literally a collage of every Disney movie ever put together. There's so many characters and designs because Richard Rich, who made this movie, was a former Disney animator. He, yeah, he did like Fox and the Hound. And the Black, Black Cauldron. Cauldron. Yeah, so he knows that style. And it's very apparent in this movie. Mm-hmm. There are so many characters that look like other characters that already exist there's in the a Disney world. Distinct Disney flair to that. Yes, but there's scenes that are framed like Disney scenes. Mm-hmm. There's songs that are very close to being like very Disney-ish songs, like the one uh, one early on that's just like, yeah, this is Belle. Mm-hmm. That's what this song is. It's Belle. Mm-hmm. And 
I can't help but wonder how much the sequels were then following whatever was possible to to grab an audience rather than actually kind of trying to do its own thing. It, it maybe got land before timed and then it's like, well, we'll just keep making these because why not? Yeah, probably. I haven't seen any of them, so I can't speak on it. But if you're able to crank out nine of them, like you're clearly doing something right. Something. Yeah. And what that something is, we we don't know. Mm-hmm. But something that I wanted to bring up is... Um, you were mentioning Der- Derek's. Derek. Uh, his his whole thing about like, well, what is that? What else is there about her looks? Uh-huh. And what I really enjoy is that there is a article about the Swan Princess being, you know, this box office flop and then turning into like this beloved property years mm-hmm. and years later um, on the Mary Sue. And one of the things that they bring up about Derek is that because of his beauty statement, he now has to spend the entire movie having to learn how to communicate and express his emotions. We watch him prove that he loves Odette by not giving up on her when everyone else does. Their love is work, and that's a refreshing change. Even in the first two direct-to-video movies, we see that they are still working on their marriage. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really cool. And then they do go on to say, the song Magic of Love from the second movie addresses Derek and Odette's relationship after their happily ever after from the first movie, meaning that not everything is perfect. They still have to work on communicating better, making time for each other. And while as a kid, I couldn't fully understand that. As an adult, it makes me enjoy their relationship all the more. So in thinking about that with Derek having to kind of work for Odette and not just being kind of handed her, Mm -hmm. which I think is really, really interesting, um, I'm curious if there were any messages that you took away from this movie as an at-the-time like little boy watching mm-hmm. this movie, did anything with Derek resonate with you? Or was this sort of that like seated transness of like Odette was resonating with you? I don't think either of them resonated with me. Really? I don't think so at all. <laughs> Is it just because you're so not like a princess person at all? Um, It's probably a combination of a lot of things. Like, a lot of the animated movies I watched growing up frequently were, like, the animated animal movies, Mm -hmm. which is ironic because I don't like The Lion King very much. I know. (laughs) The Lion King feel... I I don't get the massive appeal of The Lion King. I'm like, it's fine. I know. It's got Elton John. It's got lots of people I like in it. It seems cool. And yet I'm just like, yeah, this is fine. So maybe it's that I was more interested in different kind of movies. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's that I, even as an adult, don't find both Derek or Odette to be particularly interesting characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, Derek especially. Yeah. Derek is so boring and so going through the motions of what a prince is supposed to do. Which part of me has issue with, but the other part of me kind of likes because... I think this is one of those situations where the bar is so low it's in hell in terms mm-hmm. of like princes because princes in other movies are basically just something to look at. They um, don't... Prince Philip actually is a badass. Wow. Okay. <laughs> true. Um, but I guess for for the most part, a lot of the princes don't really have a lot of personality. To oh them. no, they are eye candy. Whereas Derek, although a little milk toast for my taste, is at least putting forth some effort and doing something, and. Again, the bar is so low, it's in hell, so that my brain is like, this is great, when in reality, like, <laughs> this is where the bar should be. Probably. I mean, I'll give Derek 
his props of being in more of the movie than princes generally are. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, obviously a princess movie is supposed to cater towards young girls. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you want the prince to be like the the one that you bat your eyelashes at as like a young girl because that's, ooh, you're supposed to like it. He's your prince charming. He's your knight in shining armor. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't really have to be there. Yeah. But Derek is there. I just, I have an issue with his character as a whole and i don't much love his scenes so yeah is he milk toast absolutely is this where the bar should be rather than way lower as it had been before this yes that doesn't mean <laughs> derek's doing a good job you're absolutely right this is one of those situations where like a dude does the bare minimum and expects a cookie for it and we're like no that should be expected of you so yes i'm i'm ad- totally admitting that i'm getting caught up in that sort of thing yeah and later in the movie after he's done all this work, he's like, I've been training to sc- slay the great beast, and mm-hmm. I must make a grand declaration of love for Odette because I want to rescue her. First what off, though, that got him there. That grand declaration of love is because Odette tells him that's the only way to break the curse. Okay, he's, cool, but he's not making this idea of like, I need to do this because I feel like it. He's like, no, in order to save her, I have to do this. This is what I have to do to save her. Okay, so but- he's listening to her. And he's acting upon what he has been told to do, which I respect. He's not doing like the, no, I'm doing it my way. He's like, oh, this woman tells me that this is how I have to fix things. Uh, This is how I'm going to fix it then. I guess. But is a grand declaration of love sincere then when you're doing it because you were told to? That's a good point. Yes, that's what I'm asking. (laughs) It's like, Derek, I don't understand where he went from. What else is there? It's like she's kidnapped and she's in trouble and I'm going to be this white knight. I must save the women like this cabin in the woods situation where you become a macho man. I can tell you exactly (laughs) what it is. Okay. And it's a quote from another princess, Cinderella. Okay. (laughs) Which is that. (laughs) You don't know what you got till it's gone. You're really proud of that one. I'm so proud of that. So the joke, for those who don't know, is that that band is called Cinderella anyway. Yeah, so <laughs> that, well, well done. Thank you. Golf clap. Thank you. I'm going to cling to that compliment like a shipwreck survivor clings to a piece of driftwood. I appreciate it. Yeah, but I just, I have issues with how Derek's character motivation is for anything because I don't have a moment where he really seems to understand more about Odette as a person. Fair. To the point where he evolves from, you're hot, to I'm in love with you. It's like, you got kidnapped, so I'm in love with you. It's like, we now have a shared trauma, and that's where this is rooted in. I have a shared duty as, like, the the leader of my kingdom to do this, mm-hmm. rather than actually being invested in her. Which I gotta say, does make me want to watch the sequel, based on that article from the Mary Sue, where they talk about how that movie is sort of centered around how marriage is hard, and you have to work toward it. Which I think if we had been able to see a little bit more of that in the first one, I think that would have cleared up a lot of the irritation that you have with this movie. Probably. I just, I really don't like the two leads because they're not fleshed out enough. And mm-hmm. yet the story treats it like they are. And that's where my biggest hang up is with both them, especially Derek. Okay. That's a fair criticism. And I respect your thoughts. Thank you. You sound like you're patting me on the head. 
I mean, you're really far away right now, so I can't actually pat yes, you Yes, but head. metaphorically speaking, <laughs> verbally patting me on the head going, maybe, that's nice. Maybe a little bit. Okay. No, it's more so that, like, I agree with you. I do. It's just one of those situations where I have to fight with my own nostalgia and my own appreciation because this, to me, is still feeling, like, fresh and exciting because watching it unlocked all of those memories uh-huh. and all of those good nostalgia feelings like came flooding back and that's definitely clouding my perspective on this movie okay. and i'm fully aware of it okay and i think that's the important thing is knowing that i'm aware of it yeah so uh, here's a question for you what is kind of the existence of something where you have a lot of exposure and experience to it as like a child but you don't have a fondness for it like what what is the neutral version of nostalgia that's a really good question. Where I'm like, yes, I'm aware of this thing. I've experienced this thing. I don't have warm fuzzies about it, but I'm also not wildly negative. I'm just like, it's okay. I happen to agree with the completely middle of the road 50% this happens <laughs> to have on Rotten Tomatoes. I think my version of that, in all actuality, is probably the Rugrats. Okay. Because... I also don't much care for the Rugrats. Well, that's the thing. You straight up just don't like the Rugrats. I think it's really ugly and I don't like children very much. I I know. Whereas (laughs) I'm extremely maternal and I do like children and Mm -hmm. I watched the Rugrats constantly growing up. We went and saw the movie in the theater. I definitely owned like a Tommy Pickles doll that had a popsicle and you could give it the popsicle and it would make its face change to look like it had like a messy face. Yeah, it was like one of those like (laughs) cold water changes the face. Gotcha. Like one of those weird toys. I definitely had one. I liked watching them a lot. But in hindsight, all of like the good feelings that I have that I can definitely pull from things like Schoolhouse Rock or Or the Magic School Bus or All Real Monsters. Those feelings don't exist for me with Rugrats. It's mm-hmm. just very much like, yeah, no, I know the show very well. I can probably make quotes about it. I could probably analyze this, but I don't have any of that really strong biased affinity for it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what to call that. It exists. It's just a thing. <laughs> like it's 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 was definitely impactful. Rugrats was one of the only nineties f- kids remember. Yeah. That's what it is. You remember. (laughs) Yeah. It's really strange, though, because I look also at something like Rugrats, and I also recognize that it was really important because Rugrats was the first time that I ever learned about, like, Passover and Hanukkah. Yeah, me too. And, like, these holidays. Also, they had a Kwanzaa special. They did have a Kwanzaa special with... uh, With Susie. With Susie's family, yeah. And these are all things that I did not have, like, real exposure to until that point. Mm -hmm. And that's really important to me. But I also am not like, oh, Rugrats changed my life. Like, it doesn't have that. And I think that's kind of where I am with Swan Princess in that I'm very aware of it. It did pull back some, like, warm fuzzies of, like, oh, Princess, who knows she's more than just pretty? That's great. But also, it clearly wasn't that impactful to me because those feelings did not exist until we rewatched it. Mm-hmm. Whereas there are other movies from that I watched around that same age that I absolutely know have, like, core influence on my being. Yeah, no, that's exactly where I'm at about this. I completely understand that feeling. That's Yeah, it's very strange. We should really figure that out. Like, what is that word? There has to be a word. Someone has to have made up a word for this. I don't know. Let's make up a word for it. I don't know. There isn't. Let's corner that market. Let's corner that market. We'll we'll go to the drawing board and figure that one out. <laughs> so since you are somebody who is not super keen on, like, 
princess stories uh, or just sort of that like Disney machine in general, but you are into animals. This movie does have talking animals. So I'm curious how you feel about these talking animals. Well, I'll say that whoever the casting director is who cast Stephen Wright as a turtle <laughs> is a goddamn genius. <laughs> this is also like the second or third movie I've watched that happened to have Stephen Wright in it, which is very yeah. strange. <laughs> like uh, we watched Canadian Bacon earlier in the morning just randomly on Pluto. Uh-huh. And I was like, God, Stephen Wright's everywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're they're fine. They're animals. I... Uh, I I can't help but feel like John Cleese's frog character is remarkably similar to a candelabra that I might know of from a Disney property. And I also wonder why he's the only character with a French accent. Yeah, that's also odd. Also, John Cleese is doing to the French accent what Dick Van Dyke did to the British accent. <laughs> it's It's not good. Yeah. Um, also, uh, as a random aside of something that killed you when we were watching it, uh... Speed is definitely a tortoise. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't be in the water. Nope. Nope, he shouldn't be. <laughs> and it was definitely this moment where we're like, oh, okay, he's a turtle, do do do. And then we're sitting there watching it and really looking at him. We're like, no, he's a tortoise. He's going to drown. You can't have him in there. <laughs> Not only is he swimming, he is a marvelous swimmer. Yeah, no, get him out of the swan lake. He shouldn't be here. <laughs> I do really like the swan design. The swan is is cute. I think the swan design is great. We do have kind of that like dumb Looney Tunes. We gave it eyelashes so you know it's a lady. Uh-huh. Like that's kind of dumb. But I love that the front of her head has kind of like the yellow patch to indicate like the blonde of what Odette looks like uh-huh. as a person. I think that's a really cute design. But I really like the animation on the swan, especially when she's flying or... When she's transforming. When she's transforming. The transformation scene. We love scene, a good transformation sequence, don't we? We love a good it, transformation sequence. Like any any cartoon that involves like Sailor Moon or Transformers, that shit's hype. The one from Swan Princess, the closest one that I can compare it to is the Cinderella ball gown. Oh, that's just absolutely like, it's what It's just it is. like big just arms and circles you. and like it's really beautiful, but I really like the Swan Princess one, because I like the way that the water is animated. Mm-hmm. I think it's really well done. That's, That's That was their trailer shot that we're like, we have oh, to pour yeah. all the time and energy into this specific <laughs> shot. Totally. And I think that it, I think that it works really well. I do. Yeah. Um, but something else that this movie has, because again, it's an animated princess movie. So we have to have music. How do you feel about the music in this movie? I don't know how I feel about any of the songs. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sitting there, I'm like, this is kind of catchy. But also, it doesn't really match the tone of where we are, mm-hmm. both in terms of genre and its actual place in the movie. Mm-hmm. I can't help but feel like, hey, we have animated song and dance numbers because Disney does. And there are a few of them that are really similar yeah. to Disney. Yeah. Yeah. The one that I found the most upsetting was the one with all of the various princesses as they came out because mm-hmm. they put way too many glitter effects on their like jewelry. It's, it's hard to look at. It's really unpleasant. Like, it's like Michael Bay lens flare, but for princesses, it's too much. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot. I think my issue with the music comes from the fact that it it's used in a way that is very expository Mm -hmm. and not, I guess, true to form 
musical theater where not only are we moving the story forward, but this song is also supposed to indicate like the emotions or the feeling of what's going on in this character's life are so powerful that they have to sing. Yeah. Like the most perfect example of that in any sort of princess movie is Let It Go. Mm-hmm. Because Let It Go is a song that you can sing outside of the context of the movie and it still works. Like the message still gets across. Mm-hmm. Same thing with like Part of Your World from Little Mermaid is a similar one mm-hmm. where you do not have to be a mermaid underwater. You can sing about wanting to be part of something else and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. A lot of the songs in this movie, I would say almost all of them, cannot exist outside of this movie. Yeah, and that is, I guess, a good thing for, like, traditional musical theater, but you have this weird clash of pop music now existing in this thing, but it's referencing itself entirely, Mm -hmm. so it can't exist as pop music. Exactly. And you referenced earlier how I really, really like Rapunzel. She's my favorite of the Disney princesses. A lot of that has to do with it being Mandy Moore, because Mandy Moore's adorable. Mandy Moore's great. (laughs) Problem is, I think Tangled has very bad music for that movie because it's pop music. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't work for the most part, aside from like Mother Knows Best, which is a great Disney villain song. Mm -hmm. But like the actual songs that involve Rapunzel don't fit that movie in a very similar way that I don't feel like this one does. But those songs are a lot more vague about their lyrics. Yes. The one song in The Swan Princess that I think works the best is it the duet is far longer than forever yep and far longer than forever is also the only song from this movie that was given any sort of critical acclaim it was actually nominated for a golden globe for best original song in Mm -hmm. 95 did not get the oscar nomination but you know was nominated for a golden globe and Mm -hmm. i think that that's i think that's great it feels like a pretty standard like broadway duet far longer than It's the catchiest, uh, in my opinion, as well, Mm -hmm. which is saying something considering, like you said, there's a song towards the beginning that is basically just bonjour. Yeah. And that's that's interesting to me. But something that I did want to mention, because it's been kind of just like ruminating in my brain, is you said this movie starts with what is essentially like a monologue and like this intro of Odette being born Mm -hmm. and then it follows up with another song that is also exposition so you kind of get back to back exposition Uh and I was like yeah why is that so annoying in this movie but is not annoying at all in Hercules because they do the exact same thing where it's like baby Hercules stuff with all the gods and then you get a song from the muses that acts as exposition why is it not annoying when it's Hercules Versus the Swan Princess, where I agree with you and I don't like that choice. Um, I think Hercules benefits from a lot more exposition because Greek lore is so dense. 
Okay, and true. also that Hercules has really good music, especially from the muses. Oh my god, Hercules! So has you're not just waiting for right. You're not just waiting for oh the song to be over or for stuff to happen. It's it's moving the plot along at a much better pace. It's a more enjoyable experience. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, speaking of Greek mythology, Derek could have just fucked that swan. <laughs> Zeus mean... did. I'm not saying he should have. I mean, I'm just saying he... that in terms of like folklore and stuff like that, it's not unheard of. Yeah. And I mean, they're doing Swan Lake, which is a lot darker oh, yeah. than this movie is uh, leading on. And I think that's also really interesting because Richard, Richard Rich was talking about wanting to you know he knew that he wanted to make a princess movie uh-huh. so they went through like all of like the Hans Christian Andersen and all the, the brothers stuff Disney Grimm. didn't do basically yes and trying to find one like what's in the public domain that we can do that Disney hasn't done or has their claws in uh-huh. and they found Swan Lake which most people know best as the ballet yeah and for those who have not seen the ballet you might be aware of a little film called Black Swan. Uh-huh. That whole angle does not exist in this. Or, sort of does. Or the fact that, you know, Odette dies. Yep. Also not in this movie. She's saved by the power of love. Yeah, saved by the power of love. But I, I have this very weird feeling knowing that a lot of the origins of these stories that we are feeding to children in these fairy tales have completely lost a lot of the darkness to it, them. It, it got hunchbacked. Yes. Okay. So thank you for bringing that up. So for those who have never read The Hunchback of Notre Dame or know how it really ends, um, it's dark. Yeah. It's not It's not happy. Hunchback is so close to being a really great movie. Yeah, I agree. And then you have stuff like The Ends and The yeah. Gargoyles. It, it has tone problems. Yeah. Agreed. But what's interesting is that when the Hunchback of Notre Dame, like, stage musical came out, uh-huh. the ending is not the same as the movie. Uh-huh. The ending is the same as the, as, book? as the book and as the story. And the problem is that because Hunchback of Notre Dame, when you hear, like, Hunchback of Notre Dame, the musical, your brain goes to Disney. Uh-huh. So then what happens is people were bringing their kids to go see this, and then Esmeralda dies, and people were like, what the fuck? fuck is this Uh and freaked out about it because that's not how the disney one ends so it's very strange that with the exception of things like the the the, the real boom of hansel and gretel like horror movies that exist that showcase like how dark that story really is Uh a lot of our fairy tales even when we're doing different interpretations of them like mirror mirror or whatever beastly (laughs) snow white the huntsman yeah all of that though (laughs) still feels very rooted in the Disney version of those stories because those versions of the stories have become the common acceptance of like how that story goes Uh rather than like the super dark and scary origins of like Brothers Grimm or the real depressing aspects of like Hans Christian Andersen stories. And I think that's really terrifying to me as like somebody who doesn't want like literature to be washed away and somebody who really has an issue with sugarcoating. Uh-huh. I think that one of the worst things that ever happened is after like our generation, children's programming got so squeaky clean uh-huh. and so inoffensive. Whereas we grew up with things like Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark and shows that were not always happy. 
because now we have like the generation below us, as much as I love and respect Gen Z, they have a real hard time navigating negative emotions, Mm -hmm. like really, really hard time. And I think a big part of that is because they never had that chance as children to do so. Mm -hmm. And I think that the stranglehold of Disney and how it even manipulated just basic ass fairy tales is a contributing factor to that. Yeah. And it seems like a good a time as any to sort of get on my uh, why I'm not a fan of Disney soapbox. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. I've watched pretty much every animated movie Disney's ever made. Mm-hmm. I continue to watch Disney things as they come out, as I leisurely make my way to them some two or three years after they were released. Mm-hmm. But Disney is the worst thing to ever happen to animation, for sure. And also, in a lot of ways, English culture. Mm-hmm. Probably then more that would extend to, like, culture of the world because, you know, colonialism. But the issue I have with Disney is that if you look at how they've treated animation since their boom of the 90s, people associate animation with children's stuff. Yeah. It's it's now been very kiddified, which throughout the 80s, you had stuff like heavy metal or fire and ice. Or even if you go back to the 60s, you have like Fritz the Cat, which is basically porn at certain points. Yeah. And it's rated adult. Yeah. Like animation has never been exclusively for children, especially with like some of the horrifying rubber hose stuff of the black and white era. Mm-hmm. And ever since the 90s in particular with Disney, it's now been homogenized mm-hmm. to like a disgusting level where people are clamoring for animation to be taken seriously and it won't really ever Unless it's Disney or like a Disney affiliate or maybe the occasional outlier like a DreamWorks. And that applies to just culture as a whole in terms of like how Disney has pretty much broke everything down to a perfect scientific formula of how to be the most broad appealing thing possible. Mm Mm-hmm. And you and I have had lots of discussions about how when you do like musical theater on stage, if there's ever a slight change in the production of anything, people throw a fit because they want it to be familiar, even if it's not Disney. Like um, when you did Rocky Horror the last time you did it and your Frankenfurter was too old and people were mad about it. Oh, yeah. The, the one story that I love to tell people more than anything is there was a production of Annie that my costume professor was costume designing for. And he did not want to put Annie in the red dress with the white Peter Pan collar at Mm -hmm. the end because that's not how it was before the movie. movie. So he went by the script and it's like a traditional like bright gold, like really flashy dress. And every single review of the musical was complaining about that. Mm -hmm. Or if you are subscribers to our Patreon, we just did our like worst adaptations Mm -hmm. uh, on there. And I talk about Grease. And like one of the reasons I hate Grease so much is because – the movie has become so dominant in culture that if you do the stage production and it doesn't look like the movie, even as far as casting, like if you cast Sandy and she's not blonde, people throw a fucking fit. Mm -hmm. And you're totally right. That's what Disney did to animation. But the question that I have for you, though, is then how come like adult animation, like television wise, is still successful? Is it just because of The Simpsons or do you think there's something else there? The thing is, adult animation actually struggled for a bit there at multiple points where the late 90s, it had some issues, even things like Futurama and Family Guy, which found later life in the 2000s because of Adult Swim, Mm -hmm. they were canceled after like a few seasons. That's true. So adult animation generally is seen as like expendable. Um, 
One fantastic show that came out at the same time of The Swan Princess that I actually didn't mention was The Critic. Oh, I loved The Critic. Exactly, but The Critic did not get received well and was canceled very, very abruptly. And I think the reason that adult animation thrives as like a television format is not based solely on The Simpsons, so that was definitely a big innovator for coinciding coincidentally with the Disney boom of Mm -hmm. the late 80s and early 90s, is that... Disney doesn't have their hooks in it, and they don't want to. Yeah, okay, that's a really good point. Disney's never going to strive for any kind of adult animation because they don't want their name attached to anything remotely controversial. And even if they, like, tinker with it slightly, you get stuff like Zootopia, which is good, but it's still a Disney version of that. Yeah, it's a Disney version talking about, like, racism and capitalism. Because instead of talking about racism head-on, they're like, it's animals. And also, it's copaganda. Oh, God, don't even get me started. Um, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, because even if you look at, like, Disney contemporaries of, say, like, a 10-year window around here, like, 84 to 94, you have people breaking away from Disney because they wanted to tell different stories. Mm -hmm. You have Bluth telling very, very different things from Disney. They're dark. Yeah. They're sad. They're, in some cases, very sexy in the way of, like, Bluth women are, like, really hot. Yeah. (laughs) They all look the same, but they're very hot. And I think it's just so many people were suffocating in, like, the Disney machine. Mm -hmm. And this was kind of the last time you were able to break free and actually have a successful film of that type. That's a really good point. Because, I mean, as we discussed earlier, Richard Rich is, he's a former Disney animator. Mm -hmm. And he clearly was tired out by that machine and wanted to do something else. Mm -hmm. And... Fortunately for him, this ended up spawning an extremely successful franchise for him because if you look at his history, he's done like a couple other things outside of this. But for the most part, his career from the release of this movie till now is just other Swan Princess sequels, Mm -hmm. which I think is really good. But in this article from the Mary Sue, uh, he talked with them. So I have some like personal anecdotes from him. But he said uh, he was getting hourly updates about the film's box office and realizing that it wasn't getting the same theater traffic as The Lion King. It left him brokenhearted, but his wife came to him with beautiful support. My wife came to me and said, you don't give one thought to this. You made a great movie. It should not fail. Just to know that my wife thought I made a great movie was all that I needed. And both ended up being right because now they have made nine movies in the franchise with another film in the works. And that didn't happen for Quest for Camelot or Thumbelina. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also important to note is because there were other movies that came out around, you know, this era and didn't didn't get that sort of love. And there's something about the Swan Princess that I think just worked. And I think a big part of it is that. The princess story is different, that for as annoying as Derek is, he is a different sort of prince. And I think children really resonated with that. But more importantly, this movie is really accessible for poor children. Yeah. And that's something that I think we're really afraid to talk about sometimes is the media that we consume. Like one thing that I talk about a lot with people is that the reason there was such like a huge boom of people who really liked anime from our generation. Oh, it's because they were on the channels that everyone had. Yes, because Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon were not on cable channels. They were on, like, just regular access channels. Mm -hmm. If you had a TV with, like, 10 channels on it, that was the kind of animation you could watch. So there's, like, a huge generation of people that are now in their 30s 
that are super into anime and it's because that was all that they had. Mm -hmm. And a movie like The Swan Princess is not going to cost as much upon rental or purchase because it's not Disney. Disney. Yeah. And Disney has so many... God, I'm going to keep harping on Disney and not talk about The Swan Princess apparently. Is that (laughs) Disney even like created false scarcity of their own films by going, it's going into the Disney vault, never yes. to be seen again. Because there's a, this exclusivity to the brand. Mm-hmm. And from a business aspect, I, I can't criticize it. It clearly works. They've made more money than is possibly imaginable. Right. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's a good thing. Yeah. No, It's it always goes back to like the Dr. Malcolm school of philosophy of just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. Uh And the Swan Princess to me is an unsung hero from a generation where if you did not have all of the Disney stuff, like you were kind of considered uncool. Like it's Uh also, it's a, it's a, this is a class indicator. This is basically the off-brand version. Yes. Like you didn't get the cereal at the grocery store that had a prize inside. Yours came on the bottom shelf in the extra large bag. Yes. This is that movie? Yes, 100%. And I think that's something that we either don't want to think about because it stirs up those negative memories that we have of being a child and possibly getting picked on for things that were like class indicators. For example, I owned all of the American Girl Doll books. Mm -hmm. I never owned an American Girl Doll. I had the off-brand from Target, Mm -hmm. and I got made fun of for it because that's not a real Samantha. You just got the one from Target with bangs, Mm -hmm. like, and people were shitty about it. And the same thing goes with this movie where if you went to a sleepover and you brought the Swan Princess, that was an indicator more likely than not that you were a poor kid. And if it wasn't to your classmates directly, it was noticed by the parents Mm -hmm. because Disney was the everything. And that's really interesting to me. And I think it really brings up a lot of these questions about accessibility and also why this movie has such a really rabid fan base Mm -hmm. and why this movie is so important to so many people. I think it's because, you know, whether we want to say it out loud or not, it's because, like, this is what we had. This was this was our Beauty and the Beast, you know? Yeah, I totally understand that. Like, I don't know if this can be really conveyed to anyone who's younger than us, really. Mm-hmm. But when you're growing up in, like, the 90s specifically and, like, the early 2000s, you didn't get a lot of options. Mm-hmm. Like... You didn't have streaming platforms that cost a thing. You get unlimited movies, basically. You right. didn't have every song ever invented, as far as you know, on like Spotify. So you could just access any music anyone, anytime you wanted. Mm-hmm. You couldn't go to YouTube and look for a specific scene of a specific movie just because it's like, I really want to watch the villain song in The Swan Princess, but I don't want to watch the whole movie and I don't have it, but I want to watch that part. Mm-hmm. You have access to like anything mm-hmm. now. But when you were a kid and you didn't have stuff, you'd get like, I don't know, I I would get like three video games a year. So I played the shit out of them mm-hmm. because that's all I had. Mm-hmm. I had like 10 CDs that I, w- that I accumulated over like two years because that's all I had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to listen to now five through eight on loop even though I don't like two thirds of the songs. Why not? These are all I've got. So I get it. But also, The Swan Princess isn't very good. (laughs) Well, okay. So you're actually making me think of something that was really relevant earlier this week, 
which is the blockbuster discourse. Uh-huh. So for those who either aren't on Twitter or were unaware that this nightmare happened, is every few months or so, there will be discourse surrounding Blockbuster. Especially since the last Blockbuster yes. documentary came out. I think yes. it's on Netflix now. Yeah, which I think is like such like a... It's such a fuck you. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. So rude. <laughs> um, but the discourse comes from two places. There's, you know, those of us who have like an extreme amount of nostalgia for Blockbuster. And then there are those that are like, Blockbuster is this awful evil corporation that mistreated its employees and also shut out mom and pop shops. Mm-hmm. Both of those things are true. But the discourse always ends up being somebody who either doesn't want to accept the realities that this is like a complicated and nuanced situation or somebody who just like wants to be an elitist asshole and like shit on Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. And I think Blockbuster and the Swan Princess, they kind of go hand in hand in this situation. And fo- follow me on the, on this journey we're going on. How could I not follow you? <laughs> <laughs> so was Blockbuster an evil corporation that didn't treat its employees well and shut down a lot of mom and pop stores? Yeah. Yes. Yes, they were. That's very true. Was Blockbuster in many, 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 many parts of the country the only place that people had access to watch movies? Yes. Mm-hmm. Also true. So a lot of times people are like, they shut down these mom and pop stores and they did this and this is bad. Yeah, that is bad. But also they offered movies to underserved communities and places that wouldn't have had the option otherwise. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for the success of Blockbuster, then like someone's podunk town in the middle of nowhere would not have gotten a movie store, like a video store to go to. And because video stores were so big when we were kids, Mm -hmm. movies like... Beauty and the Beast or The Lion King would get a shitload of copies. Mm -hmm. But even still, frequently, those movies would be rented out and you could not get them. Mm -hmm. So what did you get? Nah, I guess we can get the Swan Princess movie. I mean, it's it's a princess movie. You'll, Mm -hmm. You'll be fine with it. Who cares? Yeah. And that is also a prominent way in which people consumed this movie Mm -hmm. was because Disney movies were rented out at video stores. So the Swan Princess was the only thing that you had to choose from. And because of that, you love it. And that's that's the same thing as Blockbuster. You didn't have the other options. You didn't mm-hmm. have the cool fucking indie video store to go to. You didn't have an art house theater that was playing weird stuff. You had the Swan Princess because it was fucking there. Mm-hmm. And you're going to love that because it's that or you get nothing. Mm-hmm. So the Swan Princess and Blockbuster are one and the same. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> I'm not going to argue that because you're not wrong. And I totally understand why people like this movie if they have nostalgia for it. Exactly. But and if again, you don't. And again, <laughs> you can hate Blockbuster and hate the Swan Princess. And that's also cool. Like, that's fu- you're allowed to like and dislike what you like and dislike. Yeah. And I, it's weird that I have more affinity for this film having this discussion with you based purely on the fact of, fuck you, it's not Disney. <laughs> And that doesn't make the Swan Princess better. That makes Swan Princess Prince Derek. Derek. <laughs> Derek. <laughs> it makes it like the neutral point of like, okay, cool. It's there and it's not Disney. There we go. That's that's <laughs> what we've got here. And I would like for the Swan Princess to be better. Maybe the sequel is. I don't, I don't think you'll I, ever watch it. I probably will not. <laughs> There was definitely one day when I was uh, where I was at home or something like that, and I found out that I think Amazon Prime got all of the Land Before Time movies, mm-hmm. including this. I don't think they had the original, but they had all of the sequels. And I, I was remember like, this. Yeah, I haven't. 
I haven't watched any of these in a long time, but I remember I had like the first maybe three or four movies. And um, <laughs> there's song and dance numbers now in this dinosaur movie that used to be serious and have muted color tones. And I do not remember it being this bad. <laughs> so it's probably better than that. But also, I'm getting old. I'm turning 30 in a couple months. I don't have time to be wasting my life watching things that I don't really want to watch. <laughs> and yet every week I'm like, hey, you want to watch this movie? Usually they're good, though. <laughs> I'd say probably two thirds of the movies I enjoy. That's true. Yeah. All right, Harmony. The time has come. The Swan Princess is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you writing anything on that card back? Ah. <sighs> Man, I don't know. It's definitely not a yes. <laughs> <sighs> You're not going to hurt my feelings with whatever you choose. Here's the thing. I don't want to say no because it's not bad. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just, you, you know what? I'm, I'm going to say maybe because okay. it's a perfectly middle of the road film. Beautiful. I will say that Odette's character design is very distracting because she does not look like she belongs in this movie compared to every other character mm -hmm. who have their cartoony Disney proportions. And she's got like this Kim Basinger figure and face mm -hmm. and jawline. And she's just, she's too Barbie-ish and pretty for this goofy looking film with all these goofy <laughs> proportions. Uh, also, I think that Rothbart should have been voiced by Jim Cummings, but he was probably too expensive. So we got this other guy who kind of sounds like Jim Cummings <laughs> and it's disappointing. Um... Yeah, I, I really don't have any other things I feel like sharing as tidbits. All right. It's it's perfectly fine. <laughs> I'll probably never watch it again. If you enjoy it, great. If you don't, probably don't need to revisit it. <laughs> that's that's where I'm at. All right. That's a that's a fair assessment and you were entitled to how you feel about it. I don't entirely disagree with you. I have a little bit more nostalgia for it, but that's how all of these movies work. Do you have enough nostalgia to bump it out of the maybe zone personally, though? It's a really high maybe. Okay. It's maybe plus? It's maybe plus. Okay. Yeah. That's that's where I'm at with it. So. All right. <laughs> so we're not very far away in our, in our feelings on it. They're just coming from very different angles. Mm-hmm. All righty. Well, that takes us out on the Swan Princess Friends, as always. We have a Patreon that you can support us, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. We are also so close, so close to being able to do a giveaway. We are looking for 100 ratings on iTunes. I think we're in the 90s at this point. So, oh, we're so close. Uh, so go over there. Give us a five star. Give us a comment. We love and appreciate it. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where can people find you? I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And we want to give a huge shout out to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use Tidal as our theme song. Harmony, do you have a cool band that you want to tell people about this week? Yeah, giving our little indie music shine at the end of this episode. I want to talk about the band pony yeah so i think bj is a big fan of pony because they have a very letters to cleo sort of vibe about them mm -hmm. that fits into like the 90s pop alt sort of rock vibe mm -hmm. and a couple weeks ago they released the album tv baby and it's really good so uh yeah i recommend checking that out hell yeah love yeah. it 
All right, friends, we will see you next time. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. Say goodbye, Derek. Ah, good, Bob. I hope we same place again very now. <laughs> His brain is wrong. <laughs> this episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.